Hey there. Thanks for joining us. This podcast is put out into the world by Living Water Community Church, located in Ypsilanti, Michigan. I'm Pastor Clark Cothern. If you'd like to know more about Living Water, or if you'd like to drop us a note, or if you've got a question, or if you'd like to have us pray for you, head on over to lw-cc.org. Now, let's join today's podcast in progress. If ever there was a Sunday when a pastor gets really nervous that he's going to say something really wrong, it's on the Sunday when he's talking about taming the tongue from the book of James. (laughs) So I uh, I told the guys back there, and they fortunately, they gave me a way out. They said, well, if you do happen to really stumble over your words somehow, just say, pause, take two, back up a step, and take it again, and we'll edit that right out. That's good. It's nice that we can have an editor somewhere along the way. Tough to tame. So says James. This is a mini-series, two-parter, on the tongue from the book of James. First part, we're going to look at the power of the tongue, and then next week we're going to look at some very practical ways that we can be slow to speak and quick to listen. And we're going to practice a few things that are actually literally mnemonic devices, memory devices, that will help us do just that. So you kind of need to be a part of both of these. If you can't be here for both, we urge you to be able to check out our YouTube audio versions of those things because I'll edit those and get them up right away. And you can check it out too because I'd like for you to see both of these parts. Today would seem a little harsh if we did only this part and then you walked away and didn't get part two. So wait to part two because it's going to feel better, I promise. (laughs) We all have those moments, don't we? We do. We've all said those things that as soon as the words were coming out of our mouth, there's a part of our brain that's going, oh, no. You wish you could have grabbed those words and shoved them right back in again. I was thinking, I have many to choose from, unfortunately, but the one that came to mind was when I was directing a parachurch organization in New York State. We had our annual board meeting. There was... uh, a lady on the board, she'd been on the board for years, and I was this fresh, young newbie that didn't know a thing, and I wanted her to learn to respect me and to know that I respected her. I wanted her to feel that I really cherished her input because she knew so much more about this ministry than I did, and her name was Eugenia. Eugenia, I didn't realize until much later after this incident, was kind of uh, self-conscious about her height because she was about four foot ten, and she was a little, little ticklish about that. And so I, I didn't realize that. It never would have been a problem for me. I grew up with very kind people, my grandparents that I used to call the little people affectionately, because they were both quite short. That's the way it was. So I, I had no prejudices about her height, but that's just to preface what went on here. We had a sister church in New York that loaned us their fellowship hall so we could have our board meeting. I got there early. We had set everything up. I was going to greet everybody. When you came in the front of the church, there was an entry level here. You could turn to the left and go in toward the sanctuary and the foyer. Or you could turn to the right and go down the stairs to the fellowship hall in the basement. So I had been trying to station myself so that I could greet everyone who came in with a smile and a handshake. But somebody needed me to make a decision, so I ran downstairs momentarily, and I was at the bottom of the stairs when somebody said, oh, look who made it. And it was Eugenia. And she was standing at the top of the stairs. 
Now, Eugenia, to quote Shakespeare, though she be but little, yet she was fierce. And she really was. She was sort of a tenacity of a bulldog kind of demeanor, and she was fierce. So Eugenia shows up at the top of the stairs. I look up. I can see her silhouetted against the sunlight streaming in through that doorway. And Eugenia says, what are you guys all doing down there? Because apparently they had had the same meeting the year before upstairs in a Sunday school classroom. And what I wanted to say was, oh, it's because... uh, They opened up a better space for us this time, and I'm so glad you're here. I welcome you here, and I'm so glad that you're going to give us your wisdom. But what came out of my mouth? (laughs) It short-circuited right past the wisdom part of my brain, and it took the bypass, and it went right out of my mouth. It's because we've always wanted to look up to you, Eugenia. (laughs) And by the look on her face, I'm gathering... She was not real pleased with that statement because she's probably thinking, does that mean that they don't respect me and they've always wanted to? Was that a respect joke? Was it a short joke? Far be it from, but that kind of got us off on the wrong foot right there at the get-go. I think over the course of time, I warmed up to Eugenia a little bit, but we've all had these moments, haven't we? We just know it. As soon as they're out there, we're going, man, I wish I had a do-over. I know a pastor who actually said, he's a pastor of a large church too, and he said, this really happened to me. He said, I saw a woman that I hadn't seen in quite a while, and she came back to our church, and she walked in the front door, and I said, oh, when are you due? (laughs) I can tell by your response, you know where this is going. She wasn't. Ouch. I mean, there's no going back from that. It's out there. You know, it's like, oh boy. So we've all had those moments. Here's the thing about these mechanisms that allow us to form words and amplify them out into the air so that people can hear them. We all have one of these. Do we not? We all have one of these. We all have a pause button. But there are some times when I really wish we had one of these. (laughs) Man, if I could have just hit the rewind and gone, excuse me just a minute. And I'm saying this, now we What I meant to say is, and then start over again. Wouldn't that be handy? I wish we had one of those. Because we all have this express bypass that I mentioned. There's something about that. If you've been in any major city on a drive, you'll know that they have these express lanes. When we go visit our kids in Chicago, for example, if we're going to get over in the, the far left lane, we can get into the express lane which means that you don't have to get tied up with the traffic that's getting off at every exit through a several-mile stretch. Same thing is true with our brains, unfortunately. There's this express lane, and sometimes the words are right there, and for whatever reason, maybe because we are sort of heightened in our senses because of some nerves that are going on or whatever it is, sometimes these words just bypass the wisdom channel They should have gotten off at the wisdom station and said, I'm going to check in here for just a moment before I hop back on to the freeway. And they go right around the wisdom and they come right out of our mouths. And that's where we get ourselves in trouble. Here's what we're going to look at today. Words are powerful. Say that with me. Words are powerful. Yes, they are. Words carry different weight. They are weighted differently. And we're going to see why that is true. And words, fortunately for us, can be filtered. They really can. Uh, There's a Brita filter that you can purchase at Walmart. 
and you just install it, and the words go right through that filter, and they come out just as clean as a whistle. <laughs> Man, don't we wish that was so easy. They can be filtered, though, but just not that, that particular way. First of all, words really are powerful. I have asked this question often when I've been meeting with people to get a sense for where they were as they were growing up and if they had people that were pouring into their lives encouragement. And I would say, can you remember something that somebody important said to you that changed the course of your life? I put that question out there a couple of weeks ago on Facebook, in fact. And it's amazing to me how quickly people can remember something that was a, a positive trigger. It triggered something in them that made them believe in themselves or made them see themselves differently or caused them to think, well, if they see potential... Maybe I've got potential. And so they can be powerful. They can do these things. They can help us find confidence. They can help us find hope. They can help us find courage. And they can certainly help us find wisdom, which we definitely need. But because words are so powerful, if we're not doing those things with our words, sometimes this can happen as well. They can help us lose confidence and hope and courage and wisdom. It depends on what kind of words are coming at us as to how powerful they are and which direction it takes us. And have you noticed as well that it takes a whole lot of positive words to counter one negative word? I've seen this very evident in my own life, and there are actual studies, in fact, that have tried to quantify what this might be like. It's very subjective, so I think it's impossible for us to completely quantify it. But what we do know is this. It takes a whole mess of positive words, a whole bunch, a whole wheelbarrow full to make up for just one negative word that we hear. For example, if you've been at school and your teachers say good things about you and you've gotten 50 good things said about you and then one person comes up to you and gives you one word of criticism, what's the one thing you dwell on for the rest of your day? It's the critical word. Of course it is. Because we tend to absorb that differently for some reason. It wounds us slightly somehow, perhaps. So it takes a lot of positive words to counter one negative word. Here's that second thing that I was going to talk about briefly. Words carry different weights. And what I mean by weights is they have different levels of influence. Some are more powerful than others, depending on their source. It depends on who speaks those words. There are some people that I've been around, some co-workers, for example, on some of the jobs that I've worked that I think, this guy's always popping off with stuff. I don't really take what he says very seriously. If he's jabbing at me and just trying to get my goat and if he says something kind of critical and I think okay he's just being sarcastic because he's always sarcastic so I can take that with a grain of salt and it just kind of rolls right off and I don't think that much about it well what happens if I get home and somebody really close to me in my family says the very same kind of thing to me all of a sudden that word is weighted differently it's heavier it has a greater effect a bigger influence on my life than that person whose opinion I really don't care that much about. So that, that matters a lot. And for some reason, and I think this may go all the way back to the design that God had for human beings, it seems to me that men's words, especially in a family, can carry more weight than a woman's words. Now, I want to be cautious about how I respond to this. I'm not in any way demeaning women. I'm not sexist. I'm not saying that women don't have a voice. Yes, you definitely need a voice. That's why we need men and families to be able to say, you don't talk to your mom that way. That's exactly what I'm getting at. My grandboys can be disrespectful at times, and sometimes my daughter will speak to them in certain kinds of tone, 
But sometimes it just takes dad's authoritative voice to come in there and suddenly it puts the fear of the Lord into those boys and they realize, oh, his word carries a little more weight. See what I'm saying? In fact, if anything, I think that we as a church need to support women so that they do have a voice because it's too easy to get your voice trampled on. And I see that all through Scripture. I see the Apostle Paul, I see Jesus and other great leaders respecting women and giving them a voice when they had none. So we need to be cautious to protect that. Single moms, I am so in awe of what you do. It's a tough job. And I have several really close people in my life that are single moms or have been a single mom. And it's a tough job. We, as men in the church, need to step up and we need to be a positive voice in kids' lives so that single moms have other male voices speaking into their lives as well. I think it's important. I say that because I've seen male teachers and their effect on my own kids and on me. Mr. Nelson, sixth grade. He was a guy and he knew what guys were like and how guys needed to learn. He knew that guys were squirrely, for example. You know, it was hard for us just to stand still. If you said, stand still and don't move, this is what guys would be doing. Because that's how guys respond, to be still. And Mr. Nelson had a way of creating learning environments that were really conducive for boys learning. And his voice mattered. When he said something that was productive and encouraging, I took that to heart. So, I hope, ladies, that you can tell that I really value your voice. But I'm just saying through... Uh, years of observation, sometimes a male voice can feel more weighted than a female voice. And for weighted words, wounding words, the words that can hurt somebody emotionally, if the wound has come from a voice that's heavily weighted, the recovery time is longer. I'll go back to that analogy about a coworker that might be sarcastic all the time. If they wound me slightly, and I really don't take their opinion very seriously, I get over it right away. I can think, ah, I'm considering the source, NBD, <laughs> LOL. But if it's somebody that really I'm very close to and I really respect them and I appreciate their wisdom in my life and they say something that cuts me to the quick, it's going to take me a lot longer to get over that than it would that other yahoo. So next week, we're going to look more at being quick to listen and slow to speak. But for now, we're going to look at the power of words through the book of James, this guy who is the half-brother of Christ. This is the build-up. He became really a leader in the early church, and it was something incredible to see that character arc because when he was younger and didn't even quite understand yet who this half-brother of his was, for him to finally get to the point where he was literally willing to give up his life for Jesus Christ because he recognized him as Messiah, then the stuff that he writes carries a lot of weight. It's weighted words. So that's what we're looking at today is through the book of James about our tough-to-tame tongue. One of the things that he says right off the bat, I want you to turn to a neighbor and say, hey, you stumble in many ways. Go ahead, just say that. Hey, yes, yes, I do. Now, so that we can be fair, so that we can be equally weighted, I want you to turn to that same person and say, I stumble in many ways too. Yeah. Don't you feel better now that the second part of that has happened? Woo, we do, we all stumble in many ways. I'm so glad that James started here with that statement, because if he said this next thing to start with, I would be gulping really hard. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect. And I would think, whoa. Now, do you know anybody who is never at fault in what they say? I don't. Why is that? 
because we all stumble in many ways. I think that's why he was starting that way, because he recognized that what he's really saying is, if we could not say anything wrong, if we could get complete control over this tongue of ours, then we would be perfect. We would be able to keep our whole bodies in check. We would have no big issue. But because we all stumble in many ways, that's something we're always going to struggle with. And I see that, especially as we unpack all these verses in chapter 3 of James. I know a guy, a young man, I was mentoring him for a time. He made one tiny flirtatious remark to a young lady on the job at a restaurant where he had a good job. And that young lady took it very seriously and reported that young man for sexual harassment. Now, he thought it was an innocuous thing, the kind of thing he would say to his cousins or his sisters because that was the environment he grew up in. It was no big deal. I'm just, I was only kidding. But she didn't know that because she didn't know this guy well enough. And for him to make a flirtatious remark made her feel threatened in some way. He lost his job. And notice that they didn't just fire his tongue and say, your tongue can't come to work next week. It fires the whole body. He had to leave and go find another job. We're going to see that in James in just a minute as well. One tiny spark can set the whole forest afire, as we'll see. And then James starts making these analogies. And I love this section. Why do I love it? Because he feels ADD to me. And I resonate with that. <laughs> because he says, first of all, I'm going to talk to you about an analogy. And the analogy makes sense. But then he starts going over here with this analogy and over here with this other analogy. And I'm thinking, whoa, James, how did you get over there? Whew, that was a quantum leap. But I like it because they, they work. When we put bits into the mouths, mouths of horses, he says, to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. And boy, did my wife Joy find this out one time on a horseback ride. A deacon friend of my, mine named Merle Williams at a church when I was still finishing up college in Phoenix, Arizona, used to train horses. That was his job. And he was good at it. And he took us for a horseback ride in the desert, west of Phoenix. And the horse that Joy got onto somehow managed to work that bit around, and it got a hold of the bit. So when the, the horse has control of that bit, you don't have control of the horse. And he took off. I mean, it was like, Woo! Like something out of a Western movie. And Joy, trying everything she could to hang on, not just to the reins, but also to that saddle horn, her legs were kind of going, kapoo, 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 kapoo. She looked like she was trying to fly. <laughs> and it wasn't working too well. But the cool thing about it was she did not fall off, thankfully. Let's all have a big, whew. Yeah, thank you. Merle set about on his horse. He just, whew, whew. Yeah, come on. And his horse took off and caught up with the other horse. And he grabbed a hold of whatever the harness or that thing is that's up around the horse's head and jerked it back to a stop. And then he gave him a little disciplinary action there. Because I wouldn't want to do that to a horse, but joy was safe. But that is what made me think of this verse. And every time I get to this verse, it takes me back to that point in our little history because I think how true this is. It's one little, little tiny bit, but if you can get that to control the mouth, control the tongue, control the bite from that horse, you can control the whole animal just with a little tiny pull on the reins. And then he makes this wonderful ADD jump. He goes from horses to ships. Why he did that, I don't know. Maybe he was out by the Sea of Galilee and he saw a ship and said, for, take this for an example. Or maybe he's just trying to extrapolate into a larger example of what he's talking about because proportionally the tongue of a horse is very small in comparison with the rest of the body 
So he's thinking, what else can I come up with that's even bigger than that? How about a ship? Now, the ships that he saw were made out of wood, and they were not nearly as big as these oar-carrying ships like we see today. But it's still, the principle is still the same. It's a tiny little rudder in comparison to the size of the rest of the ship. And then look at this. Little rudder. All you have to do is just turn it a couple of degrees. What's going to happen to the front of that ship? It starts going a different way. As small as this little tiny organ is, it can control the whole rest of us. Likewise, the tongue, he says, bringing his point to home. A little tiny spark can set the whole forest ablaze. So he's getting bigger and bigger from a horse to the ships to the forest fire. That's all it takes. And yet, what do we do? We try to minimize it. We try to say, well, I wasn't really thinking at the time. I'm sorry. Or I didn't really mean that. Or I was only joking. We try to just kind of blow it off. But he says the tongue is also a fire. It's a world of evil among the parts of the body. Well, don't hold back, James. Tell us how you really feel. He doesn't say, and sometimes we get into little bits of trouble. He's saying, no, this is an evil thing. This comes right out of the pits of evil itself. Tongues express ideas, and ideas have serious consequences. When I was reading through this stuff, I don't know why I got this in my mind, but maybe it's because I'm a little ADD. I was thinking of that Billy Joel song. And I thought, okay, he's trying to minimize his own responsibility, perhaps. But he is true in a sense that since the beginning of time, tongues have been getting people in trouble. And it's resulted in terrible things, including Cain killing Abel. I mean, right off the bat. Things that we say have consequences because they convey ideas. And if those ideas are counter to one another, it can create all kinds of controversy. So tongues express ideas, and ideas have consequences. The tongue, James continues, corrupts the whole body. You might say, well, tongues can result in divorces because people start to disagree. It turns into a little mini war. We start to develop sides. I'm on this side, you're on that side, and it just becomes this little war. A microcosmic look at what war looks like. It corrupts the whole body. You don't divorce the tongue of that person that you're angry at. You divorce the whole person. You divorce the whole body. You can burn bridges, you can burn relationships, you can burn down marriages, you can burn down jobs, you can burn down your reputation, you can burn down a future, all with this tongue, because all it takes is just a little spark, and then you keep fanning the flames, trying to make it better, and you actually make it worse, and this is what can happen. So James is serious about this. He says, we need to take our tongues seriously. So how do we try to fix what we burn? With more words. And we think, but I'm not responsible because I couldn't help it at the time. I actually heard this not too long ago. Somebody said, I was a little drunk at the time I said that, so I didn't mean it. You can't take that seriously. Somebody else said, I was really tired and I'd had a long day at work, so you can't take what I said seriously. Somebody can say, but you started it, so you can't take what I said seriously because I was merely retaliating. They try to say it as though they don't have responsibility. What happens if you're on a camping trip with your family and you build a campfire, and just before you leave that campsite, you tell somebody, make sure you get enough water to put that fire completely out so that we don't start a forest fire after we've left this campsite. And they get a little water, and they put it on, the steam comes up, and they figure that they've got it pretty well, but they ran out of water, and there's a few little embers there, and instead of going back for more water, they say, it'll die down. It's been pretty moist around here anyway, so I think that's good enough. Let's go. 
And you drive away, and the next thing you know, an hour later, the winds whip up, the embers start to whip up again. One of those little embers blows over onto a pile of pine straw, some pine needles that are really dry, and the next thing you know, there's a forest fire. Who do you hold responsible for that? Oh, no, I, I put that fire out. It's not my fault. Well, yeah, you're still responsible. So even though we try to minimize what we say with our tongues, we can say, well, I didn't mean it, or I was only kidding, or I'm sorry, that was a momentary lapse. You're still responsible. Everything we say, we still must be held responsible for what we say, even though it might be something that we wish we would have taken it through the wisdom section of our brain instead of taking the express route. He says, I can imagine that if he had a, a pulpit in front of him, James by this time probably would have been pounding it a little bit to make his point even more forceful because he says, the tongue is itself set on fire by hell. Now, he's not referring to the actual place of torment when he says this. He means the source of evil. It is set on fire by the source of evil itself. This comes from the devil, as they would say in Baptist parlance. This tongue is from the devil. And he would mean it because he says that this kind of damage that's done to other people doesn't come from God. He doesn't give us wisdom like that. True wisdom comes from above, and this is not that kind of wisdom. He says, another analogy, all kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, sea creatures, are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind. You might recognize one of those four individuals on the back. He doesn't have gray facial hair in that picture, but the white guy on the right is actually yours truly. And I was doing some teaching for a seminary in Gweru uh, in Zimbabwe, Africa, back in about the year 2002. And we were riding these great elephants, and they said that they can get really fast on their feet if they are startled or if they're running away from something. And I was hoping that that wouldn't happen, and it didn't. But these huge animals, they could do so much damage, and yet people have subdued them. And that's kind of what James is talking about. In contrast to the animals, most of which we've been able to subdue no, no trouble, and some of them even domesticated, but no human being can tame the tongue. He's saying this is a wild animal. What we've got right there in our mouths is a wild thing, and it's got the potential for great evil that comes from the source of evil itself. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. And again, we're going, I get the point, James. I mean, I get it. I understand. I see where you're going with this stuff. So what's your point? And you expect him to start expounding on some of these wonderful, okay, now that I've given you three points, I'm going to go for the poem, and then I'm going to give the invitation. <laughs> and then he keeps going. With the tongue, we pray. He's like, okay, he's not done yet. He says, with the tongue, we praise our Lord and Father. And with it, we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. I thought, ooh, yeah, that's true. That's very true. How many hours would it be, in fact, this is getting close to home, and I have to hold myself accountable as well, because as we said way back in verse 2, we all stumble in many ways. How many hours do you think we could each go, maybe even minutes, outside this room after we've been worshiping with our tongues, lifting up God's name in praise before we start bad-mouthing somebody else? Before we start hearing ourselves saying something really critical about somebody else. Now, it's not to say that we're necessarily cursing them, but I'm talking about the attitude that goes with being aware that our tongue has potential to undo somebody else or to cut them down a notch or whatever. How many hours can we go? 
I think I'm going to be more mindful of that now as I leave this place, and I'm going to have to start thinking, am I filtering my words or not? Out of the same mouth, James says, he's, I'm not done yet. Out of the same mouth come both praise and cursing. And then he makes some more analogies. He's really into the analogies on this section. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Now, he's writing this, but I can imagine that if he had somebody that was like Pastor Predestin interpreting for us, if they're reading this as a letter to other people, they would probably be gesturing, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? He asks, expecting the answer, no, because you can't, because the source is what comes out. And whatever he's saying, basically, what's in your heart, that's going to be what's coming out of your mouth. My brothers and sisters, he says again, can a fig tree bear olives? No. Or can a grapevine bear figs? No. Because clearly that's not possible. And yet, we've got these miracle mouths that can give both praise and cursing out of the same mouth. And he's saying it should not be. Because if we're really putting all the stuff into our hearts that we ought to be, if we're really fully devoted to Jesus Christ, then that should be the fresh water coming out from that spring. We ought to be bearing the right kind of fruit as well. Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. And then you expect them to go from that to, now let me commend you for doing these things. Or let me give you three points about how you can implement these. And you know what he does? He stops. He goes, the end. There's another little section below this section, but it's like he goes off in a whole different direction now. Some commentators have tried to tie the two together by saying, okay, yeah, you're seeking wisdom from above, but clearly the thought is just pretty well done. And I've heard a couple of commentators say, I think he did that on purpose. I think he wanted to shock us into thinking about how dangerous our tongues are, and then just let us sit on it for a minute. Just let us think about that. Like, you go to timeout and you think about that. And then he's off to another topic. I'm thinking, that's probably not a bad thing to do. But because I'm a preacher, I have to have three points to apply what's going on. So I'm going to do that. <laughs> and that is that words can be filtered. And we're going to unpack this much more de in much more detail next week. First, before you start to let these things fly out of your mouth, think of a forest fire. Think of that picture that we saw earlier on. Picture a forest fire. We've seen a lot of this kind of stuff in the news as we've seen lightning strikes start California fires and all this stuff in times past. Think of that forest fire before you speak. Just have that one little flash on an image in your brain and then ask yourself, am I about to start one of these? Is what I'm about to say going to douse the flames or fan the flames? Secondly, ask God to help you cool the heat. Say a little silent prayer. We've talked about this, that we can have an ongoing prayer life because all of us are really good about having subtitles and things going on in the backs of our brains even as we're talking to people. We, we can do that. We're pretty good multitaskers. And sometimes we need to have that little ongoing prayer going in our minds thinking, God, are you helping me cool the heat because I need that help right now because I can feel that my passion is rising and my emotions are about to get the best of me. Lord, I need your help to help me cool this down right now. That could be a silent prayer. That if you'll just hit the pause button long enough to picture that forest fire and then ask God to help you cool the heat. And then third, if you do blow it, and based on verse 2, we all will blow it, then it should be when we blow it, 
Ask for forgiveness and do so right away. Don't wait until the damage has been done and say, well, if I give it a week, you know, time heals all wounds. No, sometimes time just gives a chance for the wounds to fester. So what we really need to do is to own up to it immediately. I can think of one time when actually God just convicted the fire out of me. And it was in a meeting and I was with somebody that I highly respected. And I was tired and I was hungry because I hadn't eaten enough for lunch that day. And I probably shouldn't have done as much as I tried to do in one day, but I overdid it. All good excuses, right? The campfire is still my responsibility. This person said, well, I sure wish that we could get this person to step in and lead that ministry. And I said, well, if you can find three volunteers for me, go right ahead. I'd be all for it. And I said it in kind of that tone. It was like, you know, we've tried to find volunteers, and people aren't volunteering these days. And, and immediately, as it was coming out of my mouth, I thought, oh, man, that was hurtful. It was unkind. It was difficult. I shouldn't have said that at all. And I told her immediately. I mean, I was struck by the Holy Spirit immediately. I said, I am so sorry. The Holy Spirit just convicted the fire out of me. That was uncalled for. Yes, I would like for us to see what you're talking about. And I apologize to you. I should never have said that. And because I did that instantly, she goes, oh, I understand. Please don't. You're okay. And I said, well, I'm not okay because I feel badly for doing that. But anyway, yes, we will look for some volunteers to see if we can come up with something to meet that need. Because I see that it's a big need. But you know what? We were in great shape after that. There wasn't a big rift that, that was established between the two of us. Because I owned up to it immediately. I wish I could say I've done that all the time. I haven't because I'm imperfect and that I fall so often in what comes out of my mouth, which is why all of us need to continually picture that fire, ask God to help us cool the heat, and then ask for forgiveness quickly if we have blown it. Let's do that together. And then next week, we're going to start unpacking how we can be slow to speak, quick to listen, and slow to anger. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I pray that James pretty blunt words would sink into all of us as we see the importance of that mechanism that you've given all of us so that we can speak words. Help us to understand that our words really are vital. They make a difference. They influence, whether for good or for bad. And I pray that we will put so much into our lives that it will be like a fresh spring of living water bubbling over in our words rather than a spark that creates fires and destruction. And I pray that you'll help us to continue to look to you as the author and finisher of our faith to help make us more mindful of our tongues. And I thank you for what you're going to do through that. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.